O Holy Spirit, may your grace go before us as we encounter your word. May your wisdom enlighten us as we hear it preached, and may your mercy be upon me as I proclaim the Savior, who with the Father sent you into the world as our advocate. This prayer we make in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So, um, the Good Shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, which happens to be on page 8 of your bulletins, will be the text for our uh, sermon this morning. And I think arguably these are among the most comfortable and comforting words in all of Holy Scripture. What is it? that makes this such a go-to text for people who are facing critical surgery, the loss of a loved one, uh, or take your pick of any massive amount of anguish or grief. We all face uncertainty. We face upheaval, anxiety. We are people who, even though we place our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, nonetheless, we live perpetually in need of hope. And as mentioned, as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, um, we were going to take this psalm as previewing and displaying the work of Jesus Christ. He is not mentioned in Psalm 23, no argument there. But nonetheless, I think we're on pretty safe ground given our gospel reading and Jesus identifying himself as the good shepherd. So let's trust him on that one. And so with this psalm as a precursor of Jesus' work as the good shepherd, we find here in this text the strength and sufficiency of Jesus, our good shepherd, as we live as his sheep. Now that opens up a question how and where do we find our shepherd's strength and sufficiency? In the first three verses, we see uh, our shepherd's ordinary practice, everyday mundane activities on our behalf. And this begins with David's profession of faith in verse 1. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Maybe even if we take the oomph of the, the Hebrew language, there, he's really saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, so given this, therefore, I will lack no good thing. It's a cause and effect. Uh, and then he displays this with a slew of present tense verbs in verses 2 and 3, as if to indicate this ongoing, everyday, perpetual, habitual work of the good shepherd, he leads me beside, uh, he makes me lie down, excuse me, in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, grass and water, the, the staple diets, what the sheep absolutely require, basic needs. Uh, he restores, again, present tense, ongoing action, my soul, we, our inner being is refreshed by the presence and the activity of the good shepherd. And he leads me, the shepherd does, in the right way, in paths of righteousness, as Jesus promised his followers and all who would follow after them. 
And the, the crowning part of this is he does all of this. All of these are interconnected in a way where it culminates at the end of verse 3 for his name's sake. Because if Jesus is our shepherd, as he identifies himself, this is what he does. This is his essence. Jesus is, in effect, saying uh, through these words, through David, um, this is what I do. This is for my name's sake. For the sake of being a shepherd, he's staking his reputation on it. Doing this is part of his nature, and therefore, what, uh, what we're meant to get from this is we can depend upon him. It's as if you asked uh, my, my grandfather, my granddad Heron, who was a Kansas wheat farmer, um, what, why, did, why did he work so hard? Why, did he, uh, why was he so meticulous about finances and about planning crops and rotation and, and what went where and, and timing of the day and, and what he saved and what he put aside, all his activities? Why did he throw himself into that? And he would have said, well... I, I've got my family depending upon me. I want to be able to put my children and my grandchildren through college and have the education I never could have. And I do all this because it's my job. I'm a farmer. It's what I do. And, and so we see that it's part, it's wrapped up in the very nature of our Lord Jesus, that he does what he does on our behalf and we can depend upon him. But there's also... Um, the, the time, have you noticed the timing of his ongoing practice? You're like, well, that seems to slip by. It doesn't seem to be apparent in verses 1 through 3. And that's the point. Um, it's, th- there's no emergency. I mean, it, it's going to come in verse 4 and following. But there's no emergency just yet. It's almost like it's, it, this is a daily Habit. It's just, we're looking at the ordinary, mundane, perpetual, habitual needs of the sheep. There are no wolves. There are no coyotes. There, 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 there's nothing that, that's emergent. But there doesn't have to be. Because if we are Christ's sheep, then very often the side effect of life is just we get worn down. And we need a shepherd for the mundane as well as for the frightening aspects of our lives. As if Jesus is saying, I am with you always. He does say that a number of places, doesn't he? But because so much of what we face is not necessarily immediate, acute anguish and hardship, but just the ordinary, everyday march of living. In other words, we may not be threatened with extinction, but we can get tuckered by exhaustion. You might not be destroyed, but you will be drained. We may never get ambushed, but there are going to be times where we say, boy, am I bushed. And although we are not finished off, how often do we get 
And that can be the greatest encouragement about having the Lord as our shepherd. And it's um, a different psalm, but I love how Alec Motier uh, put it in, when he translated uh, Psalm 68, verse 19, where he says, Day by day, he bears the burden for us. Jesus takes the weight and he revives us for the next step and he does that quietly, almost subversively. And what this text calls out to us is, do we notice that? It's, it's one thing to look to Christ in moments of terror, and we're going to come to that, but also when we're tired. Jesus gives us the strength and sufficiency in his goodness in the daily practice of restoring our soul. What about that breath he gives you every day? What about the meals on your table? The paycheck in your bank accounts? What about the trash that you take out and you look in there and you see potato peelings and pudding cups and scraps of last night's dinner that you just couldn't finish that you're like, okay, it has to go because it's gristle anyway. But you look in that and you see, Jesus has not let go of me, even down to the most basic subatomic level. What he does flow out of who he is. And we can find the most bracing encouragement in that. And then it goes on because... It darkens, the, the mood darkens a little bit. If you think of an orchestra playing a soundtrack for Psalm 23, all of a sudden it goes very melancholy, uh, because we're in the valley of the shadow of death. But here, uh, in, in the, throughout the rest of the Psalm, we, we find another angle of our shepherd's work, and that is our shepherd's ongoing provision. Verse 4, we find that he provides protection. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, that is a significant issue for sheep and for shepherds. It was in ancient Israel because you would have this hill country and you would have these deep ravines that would go down into these trickly rivers. But if a sheep fell down there, they could be prey to injury, to wild animals. If a rain uh, happened, all of a sudden a big cloud burst, there could be flash floods. This was a matter of very acute danger if you were a sheep. Uh, and so shepherds had to be at the ready to rescue. But, but notice, first of all, uh, how, how things change. It goes from third person, the Lord is my shepherd, he, 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 to even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. The psalm has turned conversational for a reason because there is the intimacy understood and felt and derive from the shepherd's presence in grave danger. And we fear no evil, David indicates here, not due to the cleverness of the sheep, because, let's face it, sheep really don't have it much in that department, but because of the presence of the shepherd. What do we find here? A lot of things can occur, but they never take away from Jesus being with us. So not only protection, in verse 5 we see that Jesus provides sustenance. You prepare a table before me, a table for eating, for sustaining me. When, when I'm just ready to come undone, 
because I'm at my rope's end. And notice the, the context here. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So the danger is still there. The threat to, to a believer's existence and, and, uh, and, and ongoing uh, journey is there. The enemies are there, but they are powerless to prevent the shepherd from being good to you and from doing good to you. And here's the crowning thing. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Kings, royalty, were anointed in the ancient world. The presence of everything that would stand up against Jesus and against you does not stop the Lord Christ from viewing you as his royal child. Many things can be taken from you, but not that. It does not stop him from pouring his sustaining grace and his provision and his delight and his royal love into our very beings. But even that can raise a question. We we can think, oh, okay, Jesus will come up in these Grand Slam situations, and that's wonderful, Valley of the Shadow of Death. We're safe. There's a limit to what people can do when Jesus sustains us. But there can be something lurking, can't there? In, in, in the backs of our minds, in the deep recesses of our soul, you know, Philip Yancey sometimes talks about the questions that no one asks aloud. I would put this in among them. Where we might say, you know, Jesus can show up in the darkness throughout life. But will he really be there for me as I go into the final darkness? Is the shepherd dependable all the way through life, even into the face of of death. And that's where verse 6 comes in because we see the provision of the shepherd's presence even into the final darkness. With certain we we see David saying surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I swear English translations just sort of you know they they just sugarcoat so much. Follow really doesn't get at the strength of this. Hebrew is just such a, a, an incredible language. There's just some umph there that English translations miss. It's almost like David saying, with certainty, grace and mercy will pursue me, or even better, hound me. Jesus' steadfast love will hound me all the days of my life. It will stick to you and not let you out of his grasp. What is it that Jesus says in John chapter 10? No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. It's kind of like the scene in uh, the movie Hoosiers where Gene Hackman is the basketball coach and he's, he wants one of his players to defend uh, the opposition really tightly, and he, he encourages uh, the player. He says, think of him as gum. By the end of the game, I want to know what flavor he is. That, that's how close, and, and, and 
And Jesus' grace and his mercy go above and beyond even that all the days of our lives. So this means that in the moments where you debate if the shepherd's love is sufficient, if that somehow he's going to rescue you in the occasional danger and make sure you're not destitute in severe moments, but you may ask, what about all the way to the end? What about the long game? Not just the short term. And this final verse answers with a resounding yes. The Lord Jesus is your strong, sufficient, and faithful shepherd, both now and all the way to the end. Can you not sense the hope arising out of Psalm 23? That was a hope that Robert Bruce, the Scottish pastor, knew very well, not just in ordinary daily moments, but all the way to the end. It was the morning of his death that he came down to breakfast with his daughters, and he sat at the breakfast table as they were getting stuff ready. And he passed the time in silent prayer, had his eyes closed, and suddenly he sensed his spirit slipping away. And he said, hold, daughters, hold, my master calls me. And so he asked for the family Bible to be brought to him, and his sight failed him, and, and he said, cast me up the eighth of Romans. So, so they, as they're getting to that chapter, uh, he starts to quote most, uh, most of that text, and that he keeps going and keeps going, gets all the way to the end, the last two verses, and he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he said, set my finger upon these words. And they did so. And he said, God be with you, my daughters. I have breakfasted with you this morning, and I shall dine with my Lord Jesus tonight. I die believing these words. There you have the trust in a strong, sufficient shepherd, our shepherd, our Lord Jesus, whose ordinary practice and his ongoing provision is all that we need. And it's above all that we can ask or imagine. In that hope, May we live faithfully as his beloved sheep. Amen. Lord Jesus, our shepherd, we pray you supply the grace we need to follow you faithfully. May we always trust that you sustain us at grassy banks by still waters and that you provide for us in the valley of the shadow of death all the days of our lives. This we ask in your name, O Messiah Jesus, our shepherd and savior who died for us, your sheep, and whoever lives for and in us. Amen.